morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 3 through 9. 1 Peter. I guess I ought to turn there myself. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll be in verses 3 through 9. <clears throat> We have at the, at the well been going through, we just started a series um, in 1 Peter, and so we're going to be preaching through 1 Peter for quite some time. Um, now, some of you may get a kick out of this, but you know the song Joy and Pain, right? By Rob Bass, and come on, come on, you know what I'm talking about, Rob Bass, DJ Easy Rock. Joy and pain, like sunshine, and everybody else repeat, and rain. Okay, man, that was a tough opening. Life involves joy and pain all the time. Joy, pain, like sunshine, like rain. The song, the rest of the lyrics you can ignore, but the chorus is pretty good. But, so some of you, and especially now in the times that we find ourselves in, we find ourselves constantly riding this roller coaster of joy and pain. Now, things are difficult. We find ourselves in difficult, challenging, sorrowful, painful situations. And there's things about our life that create wonderful joy and happiness. And then there's still some things that cause sorrow and hurt, sadness. Some of you have learned that joy and woe are not mutually exclusive. They can actually and oftentimes do coexist. I think um, Chelsea is probably experiencing that coexistence currently right now. The pain of losing her mother in an earthly status, but the joy coinciding knowing that eternity has just begun for her. And so, these two things can sort of live together and they don't have to be mutually exclusive. The older I get, the more I realize the question, how are you doing, is difficult to answer. Especially in today's times. Life is full of things that are wonderful, they're full of things that are exciting, they're full of things that are hopeful, and they're also full of challenges and burdens and grief. And so, I'm finding that following Jesus is not all about the good. It's not about good days and bad days, but more about days filled with good and bad. Rather than saying today's a good day or today's a bad day, we're having a good, bad day. Because most of us, if we admitted, we wouldn't get through a day without at least something breaking our heart, making us sad, making us angry making us mad, whatever it is. So part of Peter's aim in writing 1 Peter is to help the readers to get their heads and their hearts around what it means to be exiled here. So uh, let me just give a brief sort of summary for, for my Rockfish family to catch up over the last two weeks. Last week, we sort of helped understand the great mercy of God in the life, we, we talked about uh, our, 
uh, our inheritance being imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We answered some big questions last week like, who's in charge? Who am I? And what does my future hold? Two weeks prior to that, when we launched the series, we were able to do it in a very similar setting to this. We were actually having a joint service with Cedar Grove Baptist Church over in Faber. We launched the series and we introduced the book of 1 Peter. And we identified that Peter was writing to believers and he was not only telling them that they were exiles, and we explained that the difference between just being an exile and being an exiled ambassador is that if you're just an exile, you can kind of sit to the side almost like a war refugee and wait it out. But an ambassador has a job to do. He has something to represent. He is to be busy about his business. And so we talked about that not, not Peter calls us the elect exiles, but he, he, is, he is also later showing us that we are ambassadors for Christ. So we answered that question. We, we talked about being exiles, but also being exiled ambassadors. We stated that we're not merely exiled, uh, exiles, but exiled ambassadors. And Peter wanted to help them think about how they're living in the environment they're in and how they're viewing that environment. We connected them to the divine plan for their lives where Peter says to them that it's because of the, according to the foreknowledge of God. So this week I want to look at, uh, primarily we'll focus on verses 6 through 9, but I want to go back and read verses 3 through 9. And so if you'll join me in reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And I know that it is the tradition here at Rockfish to stand for the reading of the Word of God. Is that? No? That's not? Okay. Wrong church. All right. So if you'll join me in reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved, by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than the goal that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray and we'll continue. Father, I just ask that you would control my tongue, that you would express to your people that which you have for them today, a reminder, an encouragement, maybe even for some a drawing into this salvation. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would complete 
the teaching of your word, the perfect and beautiful word through a dirty vessel. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this week we want to look at exiles that rejoice. So if we think back to a couple weeks ago, we talked about, uh, we compared exiles to being uh, war refugees, people that had to flee a place due due to war. And so, how does someone rejoice in a situation like that? As we're studying through 1 Peter, we're studying this very book at this very time, at the leading of the Holy Spirit, because of the trajectory that our nation seems to be on, because of the COVID pandemic, because of the separation of our church family, we started to feel like exiles. We've, we've started to feel like there is a gloom about us. And our passage today, it really helps us. It helps us by giving us a way of thinking about difficulty and trials. It seems as though Peter, what our natural reaction is we avoid difficult situations. We avoid, if we're having trouble, we just, if it's, if it's problems between a married couple, we just paint on a happy face and we ignore it. We, 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 if we're having problems in the neighborhood, we just smile at the neighbor and try and move on. We, wanna, we would just want to avoid it. Today, Peter's like, I want you to look at difficulty differently. It seems as though Peter wants to take away the shock and surprise of difficulties by helping us, really reminding us, to reorient our minds so that we can rejoice in difficulty. When we see difficulty as as ultimately part of God's plan, then we can begin to rejoice even in the difficult part of God's plan. So that's our aim this morning. Helping us know how to rejoice when we suddenly feel the consequences of being in exile. Sticking with our pattern that we've had for the last couple weeks of focusing on reoccurring words. If you look at the text again, you'll see the word rejoice. It appears at the beginning of the text and it appears at the end of the text found in verse 6 in this you rejoice and in verse 8 you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible so clearly peter's aim is to make this word whatever it means we're going to look at it an important part of the believer's life as he experiences the challenges of being exiled so let's define the term rejoice because we could, if we don't define the word right, then we can easily head on the wrong trajectory ourselves. So when you hear Peter say rejoice, so that we're on the same page, we would often think, and various Greek dictionaries, they tell us that the word rejoice in the Bible means to be extremely joyful, to be filled with delight for or in something. That's, that's different than just being happy. That's different than just being happy. So a few examples. Revelation 19.7 Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. There's rejoicing for and or in something. Matthew 5 Verses 11 and 12. 
Blessed are you when others revile you. Fits right in. And persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. The next word. Rejoice. And be glad. For the reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice, says it again, and be glad when His glory is revealed. This is a hope, this is a joy in something and for something. Now, Peter, that, 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 that's the example that we, that we first get when we think of rejoice. Peter breaks it down even more because this Greek word is different than the one for joy. Peter is aiming at, at, at more than just godly endurance and calm emotions under trial. His aim here is to help us fight for happiness, fight for passion, and fight for delight, not in the suffering per se, but in the bigger picture of what God is doing in difficult days. Because it's hard to just focus on the actual event of the difficulty and find any joy in it. But when we are able to see it along the, the actual big picture, then that, like I did a couple weeks ago when I pulled the, 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 the tape measure out, and we talked about the, the life span of someone when we're able to see the suffering in the big picture, and that's where Peter's aim is here. The goal is to overpower the, the sorrow of suffering with a gospel-loving affection that makes us happy, sing, re rejoice, even while we're still hurting. And Peter says it's possible. And this is why it's dangerous to have a feelings based anything i don't feel it today i don't feel it there are days you don't feel it you gotta know it you gotta know that god's good even when you look around and everything is difficult because if our if our faith was based on our feeling alone we'd all quit every one of us we'd all quit so his aim here is to help us fight for this happiness and this passion and this delight in not necessarily the individual event of suffering, but in the big picture. So, is that you today? Are you happy in God's grace today? Is it a good day or a bad day? Well, I hope by the time we leave that we'll understand that we have a good, bad day. So if you were to weigh in the emotional balance of your, of your soul today, are you in love with God because of what He's doing in your life or because of what He's done for your life? Because if we're just basing it on what we're receiving at the moment, God's an ATM machine. We push the button, we get what we want, then we're happy with Him. But when we push the button and the amount that we want doesn't come out, then we're mad at him. So today, I'm not, I, I'm not suggesting that the goal is to just wallow in our pity either. To be sorrowful and sad. Now don't get me wrong, there is a place for lamentation. 
And there actually, we, we spoke for two weeks straight at our church on lamentation and lamenting and, and, and crying out, God, I don't understand why you're doing this. That's actually part of understanding the big picture of suffering. What I'm suggesting is that God intends for sorrow and happiness to coexist in the heart of the exiled ambassador. It's not an either-or equation. It's not because I'm hurting, God loves me less. It's all part of the picture. Peter wants to help these exiles learn how to rejoice and be happy, to exult and to delight in what God is doing while we're in exile. Think about this. The church, had they not been persecuted, probably would have just stayed right, right together. Had nobody come after them, had nobody harassed them, had no one offered to, to take their heads off or disembowel them publicly or, or throw them in prison, they would have had this nice little comfortable seat and they probably never would have left Jerusalem. But it spread. Peter wants to help exiles learn how to rejoice, to be happy, to exult, to delight in the big picture of what God is doing. Because then the individual suffering plays into it and it becomes a part of the big picture. Because if we just view the suffering by itself, then we think that it's over. But it's not. And Peter, Peter addresses that. So we actually preached two weeks about lamentation. A third of the Psalms are, are basically in the minor key, right? So there is a place in the heart of the believer, in the exiled ambassador, for this sort of, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? There is a place for that. And it's okay because it's a part of that. So, bringing an exile, uh, being in exile means that you acknowledge that what I'm experiencing is really hard. It's really difficult. It's not fun. And yet there is a joy and a passion in the heart that's rooted in the gospel and the big picture. Because there is a watching world. There is a watching world who watches, who, who doesn't know how to suffer well because they don't have this eternal hope. They don't have the eternal hope that we have. And they, they, they say, how in the world do you not see this as the end all be all? How do you not see this as life wrecking? And they use words like pillar and things in my life that have crumbled. But see, we don't view individuals. So it, 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 I'm just going to use Chelsea as an example. If Chelsea viewed her mom as the only pillar in her life, her life is over now because her mom's life is over now on earth. But there is a pillar of strength in the gospel, in the finished work on the cross that holds it all together. And so for this moment, there is rain pouring down but yet she has a place to be shielded from it. But if that, if that thing or that person or that, or that institution, if the United States of America is the pillar that is the, the, the strength of our life and that crumbles, is our life over? No. 
So being in exile means that we acknowledge that what we're experiencing is difficult, it's hard, it's not fun, we don't like it, but it is part of the bigger picture. What you are individually suffering through right now plays a part in the gospel picture. And when we can see that, and I think Peter brings that to life here, knowing that life is mingled with joy and woe, it's how Peter encourages them. So there's three things that I think we can draw out of this text today. So we'll begin to dissect it down a little bit. First, number one, if you're taking notes, rejoice by reflecting on life's trials. One, rejoice by reflecting on life's trials. What do I mean by that? So the first thing that Peter does in the passage is he sort of sets the context for the challenges that spiritual exiles are going to face. He, he, he knows the rest of the book. And I know that the rest of 1 Peter talks about suffering. But this is the first place that he starts to really bring it into context. So it's important to note that Peter's approach to suffering here. How does he set the context for it? First, he leads us into this discussion by pointing us back to the beautiful spiritual realities that he just mentioned. So when he says, in this you rejoice, what's he referring to? He's referring to the hopeful message that we read. That's why I went back and read verses 3 through 5. Because they include things like praise to God for the miracle of conversion and the power of resurrection. Uh, verse 4, a heavenly inheritance. Verse 5, the promise of God's sustaining grace and hope of a coming victory. So he's pointing back to those things. He says, in those things, you rejoice. He's saying, we find our rejoicing in the promise. We, we, we find our rejoice and our joy in the promise. So when we rejoice by reflecting on life's trials, it's the starting point for considering any trial and difficulty or challenge that our culture throws at us. Peter reminds us that it's really important that we rehearse and celebrate the gospel regularly. If you take nothing else from away from today, take this sentence. Peter reminds us that we sh it is important that we rehearse and celebrate the gospel regularly. So we need to constantly remind ourselves about who we really are, what our future holds. When's the last time you actually looked back? And again, I talked about it a few minutes ago. We don't like to talk about trials. We don't like to talk about trouble. We don't like to talk about things that are difficult. When's the last time you actually looked back at a thing and said, yeah, that's how God got me out of that. That's how God brought me through that. This is what I'm talking about. Rejoicing by reflecting on life's trials and seeing the big picture in it. Because when we can look back and go, oh man, that was so difficult, that was the worst time. It prepares us for the next one that comes because we now have evidence of His grace and His mercy. We have evidence of His power. And so we regularly reflect on life's trials and we rejoice in them. Thank you for that, God. I don't, I don't, I didn't like that. That was terrible. But thank you for it. If you've been a Christian long enough, you've probably done that. If you haven't, 
You probably should. Because it will prepare you for the next thing. So we need to constantly remind ourselves of who we are, which we identified last week. What our future holds, which we identified last week. So this exile requires a regular and robust rehearsing of the gospel. So this morning, if you feel like the trials of your life have you on an emotional roller coaster, you are not alone. You're probably right where you need to be. God is doing something in your suffering and in your trial if you are a child of the King. If you are an unbeliever right now and you are going through suffering, guess what? God is trying to turn you to Himself. He is drawing you in. And He is saying, hey, this is going to happen again. Suffering is a part of the darkness of this world. And do you want to endure it? Endure it with me. So grief and happiness can actually coexist. Did you know that? So, because of the gospel, by definition, it is something to be proclaimed and heralded. It is good news. It is meant to be shared. So when we look back and we reflect and we rejoice on looking at past life's trials, that testing of our faith is shown. Now, Testing proves that your affection for Jesus is real. Think about it. And that testing, while painful and hard, actually serves to make us glad. It it serves to make us glad. Now, I want to make a side note. Do not confuse testing and tempting. There's a difference. Satan tempts, God tests. Satan tempts with sin. God doesn't use sin to test us. He doesn't float this opportunity for you to sin and then call it testing. That's tempting. That's temptation. That's from the adversary. God is going to test you. Like when you say, oh Lord, please make me more patient. He doesn't whip you up a, a, a patient's milkshake and serve it to you. He sends you into a room of seven toddlers that are all hungry and want the same goldfish. That's how God tests you right there. Okay, So He gives us the opportunity to become patient. Or He gives us the opportunity to become graceful. Or, Lord, make me more patient. Make me more whatever. And then He gives you the opportunity to utilize the power of the Holy Spirit to, to do that. But He doesn't dangle some nightclub or or something in front of you that's temptation that's satan so i just wanted to want to make that a side side note so if you're giving in to temptation don't blame god for testing you for it you're just you're giving in to temptation all right so let me get back on track <laughs> that wasn't in the notes so after my father's death a couple years ago In the suicide that same year, just months later of a close family friend, I found myself probably in the throngs of the worst pain I had ever been suffering in my life. And I picked up C.S. Lewis's book. It's not not his most popular book, but it is a good one. It's called From the Problem of Pain. And I recommend it for anyone who's suffering, who's mourning, who's going through despair. From the Problem of Pain. I highlighted this. This is what jumped out to me the most out of this book. And I revisited it this week. I had to go in 
a closet and find it on a bookshelf. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience. But He shouts in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That stood out to me so much. It stood out to me. And then He he presented Himself uh, uh, then I was able to look back and reflect on a past suffering as I was reading this book and I, and I highlighted that quote. Because I remember the day my father died and he, he died a difficult death. And I went to a little local church up there in New Hampshire. I, uh, my sisters and brothers wanted to go to church. I said, no, you guys go to your own church. I need to be alone right now. Just leave me alone. And I walked in the back of this little church, little local church up in Epsom, New Hampshire, And I sat in there brooding, angry, mad at God. My father didn't deserve to die like that. I'm done. I'm over this. This is is it. I can't believe you treat him like this after he served you for 58 years faithfully as a Christian and 80 some years of life on earth. Mad. Angry. Shaking my fist at God. And I went back to the, so, so again, I, I, I'm reflecting on a past hardship. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. And there in that little church, God said, I am mourning Bill too. He's, that's why he said, blessed be the God, our Father. Because he's an intimate God. He's not, he's not a set-apart God who, who rules with an iron fist. He's an intimate God. And he said, I am sad that Bill died too. You think God isn't upset at the effects of sin? That sin, the, when it is finished, is death? And he brought me back into fellowship with him through that moment. And then that little church family there in Epsom came, they could just see. Here's this stranger sitting in the back pew, bawling his eyes out through worship. What's wrong with this guy? And they approached and they, they, they cared for me. And God's family took care of me. Not my local family that was still back here in Virginia, my, my family in New Hampshire that God predestined for greatness that day. He determined who was going to be there and who was going to minister to me in that moment as He brought Himself into intimacy with me again. So I look back on that moment regularly and then I can rejoice as I faith face the death of other friends, as I face the death of other family members, as I face the, 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 the potential death of what I know as my country, the, 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 whatever it is. Those things are small picture compared to the big picture. And so I rejoice as I reflect on these past pains. And then, rejoice as you are made confident in your faith. Rejoice as you are made confident in your faith. You, you, we, re, we reflect on life's trials and what it does, Paul says it, Peter begins by pointing us back to verse 8. He says, and he comments his, to his readers that even though they haven't seen Jesus, 
They love him. Where did that love come from? Where did that love come from? How is it even possible that they started loving a Savior that they had never seen? What's more, they don't see him even now, and yet they believe in him. In their heart and in your heart is belief and love. It's a reality that something is confirmed in you, Holy Spirit. Something is confirmed in you. There is a genuineness to your faith. And when we go through a trial like this, it only builds our confidence in our faith. It's difficult to see it in the struggle, but I, I'm saying we, we rejoice when we look back on past conflicts. And for some people that are suffering right now, this is the conflict, this is the difficulty that you're going to look back on. And you're going to see God in it. Our hearts are meshed through the Holy Spirit with Jesus. And the effect are moments when they, and here's, here's a quote from the text, Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's what he said. I can't explain it. I don't, you, you ever had to start a sentence with, I can't explain what I'm about to say? I hope you've been able to start a sentence like that. I can't explain what I'm about to tell you. So they love Jesus, even in the trials, even in the difficulty. Because it creates more and more love. It, 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 it shows the tested genuineness of our faith. Because we rejoice as we grow confident. Confident in our faith. God may be using circumstances to get your attention, to awaken you to the reality that you are focused on something that is not the big picture. That you are focused on something that is actually not the gospel. That you're trying to preserve something that, that you think is life-giving and it's actually going to bring death. And he's trying to say, hey, pay attention. The only thing that gives life is the gospel. So God may be using these circumstances to remind you. You may be seeing the fruit of trying to be your own God control your own circumstances and that fruit quite honestly is rotten and it stinks i was speaking this week to a brother who uh, i hadn't talked to in a long time and he said you know he had no idea we, we we didn't talk about what i was preaching this week or anything and he said you know i uh i went through this we were talking about a particular person that we knew mutually, uh, who suffers from mental health issues. And he said, you know, I've, I was always sort of eh, impartial, ungrateful, unmerciful towards this person. He said, until about a year and a half ago, I had my own mental health, what I would call a breakdown or episode. Or He said, it was the worst three months of my life. He said, I'm so thankful that it happened to me because that's why I'm calling you today. I have a passion now for the mental health world that I didn't have before. And he said, Dan, I know this sounds crazy, but I, 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 I think God allowed that to happen to me so that I would be more favorable towards people with mental health issues. I said, man, you have no idea. Would you come on Sunday up to Rockfish Valley Baptist Church and like 
testify to that? He literally rejoiced in the reflection of something that he was having a hard time with. And now he's confident in his faith that he's going to be able to help people who have that same issue. His faith is just, man, he's, he's, a, he's, he's strengthened and empowered. So one, we, we rejoice by reflecting. We rejoice by building that confidence. And then we rejoice as we see God refining us. So one, we rejoice as we reflect. Two, we rejoice in our confidence of faith. And three, we rejoice as we see refinement in our life. We actually see God growing us and changing us. One of the things my older kids always get in a bunch about is how patient I am with my youngest kids. My six-year-old and my 26-year-old had two different parents. Same guy. I was impatient and snappy and angry and over the top, demanding, ridiculously ungraceful to my older kids. And as God refined me, as God grew me, as God changed my heart, the dad that Aiden has is not the dad that DJ had. And man, there was this jealousy of, oh man, you'd have never let me get away with that. I'd have never been able to talk to you like that. I'd never been able to say that. I, if I'd have done that, this is what I would have got. And I said, rejoice with your brother that he doesn't have me for your dad, the same dad you had. Rejoice for him. Rejoice as you see refinement in your life. Having taken that step back, looked back, said God brought me through this thing. God brought me through this difficult time. It creates perspective and it strengthens our confidence in our faith. And now we rejoice as we see this change, as we are truly becoming exiled ambassadors. Peter highlights this in verse 7. He starts with the words, so that. Look back at verse 7. So that. Which should be very clear marker that what follows in the passage is the effect of the trial that we were previously addressing. So he says in verse 7, so that. Verse 7. So that. Talks about all that. In this you rejoice through the faith for, for a little, uh, though you, for now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That's the end of verse 6. Comma. Verse 7. So that. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that, as you study your own Bible, don't miss important phrases like this and, and, and word conjunctions like this because they serve as wayfinders in the text. They remind us. They show us. They point to us. It's, it's like a road sign with an arrow on it. If it was just a green sign out there that said rockfish, you'd think, all right, I'm in rockfish. But if it's got an arrow pointing that way or that way, then it's telling you you're not quite there yet. Peter says, so that, so that. 
The words tested genuineness there, they're, they're actually a single word in, in, in the Greek. They're actually a single word. Which is why if, you, if you're reading from the NASB today, you'll notice that your version says the proof of your faith. It's the same word that is used in James 1, verse 3, where he says the, tested, uh, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So James was understanding the same concept. Wait, I'm going through all these trials. It's testing me. And what is it? It produces steadfastness. It produces confidence in my faith. And I'm able to reflect on the change that is taking place in my life. That totally makes sense. And it is way too easy to get caught up in the trial and not the so that. We get caught up in the if for a little while. And we end the sentence there. And we don't continue on to so that. This trial, this difficulty, this hardship, it's so that. And then you fill in the blank. Some of you will remember the song based on uh, Matthew 5. This is the light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine. So that people will see. So that people will see. So if you've suffered and if you've struggled and if you're pouring out tears and your heart is just broken, you know both waves of grief and love. Imagine right now, believer, imagine right now if you were suffering through what you're suffering through right now and everybody here suffering through something on a different level. Imagine if you were suffering through it without Him without God and without His people, without Him sending people by, without Him encouraging you? What if you were suffering through what you're suffering through with no hope? There are people that are. And the testedness of your, the testing of your faith right now is going to produce confidence in your faith and you will overcome. Therefore, being in exile, who rejoices means that all the pain and all the challenges, they reassure us that God has an ultimate plan for this world. It's actually a reminder of His great covenant with us. So, I'll close with this. Are you there this morning? Is that where you are? Do you need to see difficulties and trials and pains and and and? And disappointments, do you need to see them in a, through a different lens? Have you been able to thank God as you look back on past trials? Have you been able to see Him in them? Or have you been looking back and saying, God punished me here, and God punished me here, and God punished me here? Rather than, God brought me through this testing, and God brought me through this testing, and God brought me through this testing. It's all about the lens we view it through. So can we stop trusting our political party for our future and start trusting our Savior for it? Can we stop trusting uh, uh, our spouse and our children for our happiness or our sadness? Can the life or death of a family member not end our own life? So can you tell Jesus that He's worth it? if you've walked through hardship, if you are able to look back, if you are lessons learned, apply them and rejoice 
in the refinement that we see. Rejoice in the refinement that we see. And then, the final question. Can you prepare for the next hardship? Is this preparing you for the next hardship? And receive it in advance with a sense of eternal joy. That's the, that's the big leaving question. Are we ready to look at the next hardship that comes and already receive it in advance as a part of the eternal picture and with eternal joy? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to bring your word today. I thank you for Peter and his boldness to, to just throw so much and pack so much into these few verses that we looked at today. Lord, not only are we exiles in a foreign place waiting to return home to You, to Your presence, but Lord, You, you gave us a position, a job. You, you, you gave us a, a purpose and a function in that we, we didn't just huddle up and disappear and be insignificant, but you, you allowed us to enter into your grace and mercy and the work that you do through them, and you allowed us to be a part of that. Lord, may we look back. Not only is it for others, but it is for us. As we saw in verse 2, the very first week, it's for our sanctification, for our obedience to you, and for ultimately the sprinkling of the blood so that people will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. So God, continue to encourage us. Continue to strengthen us. I pray right now for those that are suffering through very, very difficult trials right now. They are in the midst of their strengthening. And they are tired and they are weak. I pray that You would give them a special portion. That You would carry them through. That You would even clean off the lens. That they would be able to look back and see other things that that maybe they saw as punitive, but now they'll look back and see as provisional. And I thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.